I'd like to welcome everyone to our Sunday service, especially our guests here at the Expanding Light as well as at the Meditation Retreat, and all those watching us on the internet. My name is Swami Pranaba, and this is Swami Parvati. Today's topic, read from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda, which has commentaries on passages from the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. This week's focus is dogmatism versus common sense. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 7, Jesus warns, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Jesus here, as indeed many times during his teachings, counsels people to use their God-given common sense and not to rely on high-flown but undemonstrable claims. Common sense goes beyond abstract reason, for it is rooted in actual experience. Even common sense, however, is deficient when the judgment calls for going beyond sensory experience. Ultimately, what he emphasized always, therefore, was intuitive perception. Thus, he expected more of his disciples than crude common sense, and often scolded them for being too literal-minded, as he did elsewhere when he thought his statements, when, when they thought his statement, I have meat to eat of, you know not of, meant that he had steaks or sandwiches secreted about his person. His reference, of course, was to spiritual, not material substance. Words, even though appearing in the scriptures, are no substitute for direct perception of truth. Therefore, the Bhagavad Gita says in the second chapter, The sage who knows God has as little need for the scriptures as one might have for a pond when the whole land is covered in flood. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. from Whispers from Eternity. Prayer between sleeping and waking. O Father, when I hover on the borderland between sleep and wakefulness, Thou dost come and play with me, Thy little child. I float on the ocean of Thy love. I dance with the boisterous billows of emotion. I play at hide-and-seek with Thee, as thou dost with me. Thy greatness lifts me, this least of all thy servitors, to sit with thee on thy throne. Hadn't seen that one before, and I thought it was very sweet. So this uh, topic of common sense versus dogmatism is 
We're in a time right now when I think we all can feel everybody sitting here has a lot more common sense and intuitive perception than dogmatism going for them. But we're still in that kind of time when people really revert back to just what's in print and the dogmas of the churches. Uh, One thing that's very refreshing right now is to have a, a pope around who is willing to go beyond uh, just the dogma and into his own experience with people, which covers many, many years, and be kindly and much more open than we've uh, seen before. But I was thinking about this topic and just think, and also the fact that we're in the time of Master's Mahasamadhi tomorrow, and we'll have a very nice ceremony tomorrow evening uh, to commemorate that. But thinking about Yogananda, I thought, well, the Mahasamadhi, normally it's defined as the final conscious exit, but Master went through that Mahasamadhi a lot of times (laughs) in various lifetimes. So it wasn't a final thing for him. It was just a, a great Samadhi. But also just I wanted to talk just a little bit more about him today because he personifies going beyond common sense into intuitive perception and because we're in this time of the Mahasamadhi. Uh, in fact, I was noticing, I read the autobiography the other day on the chapter on where he's talking about Master Mahashai, which is a very sweet chapter and they're walking along and he goes into samadhi and all of that. But at the very end of it, he says, uh, Yogananda says, I hope, he's talking about the fact that he's written about Master Mahashaya and all these other saints in the autobiography and the autobiography's been published. And he said, I wonder, I think they probably knew uh, that I would write about them and that all of this would happen. And I hope that my readers who have come with me thus far will also think the same thing. In other words, he knows he's drawing people along into a really deeper and broader perception of life. Because I was just again meditating on the autobiography and thinking, why is it so very popular? And it feels like it's a, a combination between really stretching you to see a vision on page seven or nine or whatever it is. And and the very first uh, statement is, you know, about the disciple-guru relationship being the one true thing that India still has to offer the world. But he also mixes in his own family life. You know, he introduces you to his father, to his mother, his brothers and sisters, his life there. And in, in mixed in with that, are all these amazing superconscious experiences that he had and so it just is a way to help us to uh, come up to something that really is natural natural to our soul not maybe to our personality and again i'm speaking very broadly here with all of you here it's different but for many people not common to Uh, their personality and their understanding outwardly. Their soul perceives things, but a lot of times that's pushed away by dogma and by, you know, well, it's, you know, let's get back to more common sense than just common sense. But at any rate, um, in uh, Yogananda, Paramahansa Yogananda, a biography, 
uh, Swami Kriyananda dedicates a whole chapter in there to um, the salient, Yogananda's salient characteristics. And I wanted to just talk about a couple of those. He, there are 32 of them that he lists out in that chapter. So I won't hold you here forever talking about all of those, but, but just a few of them that I felt were deeply meaningful. And also just to say right away that, you know, Yogananda isn't in the body. And we're still in a time when that's kind of an issue for some people. Maybe not for people here today, but I just wanted to remind you of that lovely commentary uh, on this question about, well, but your guru's not in the body, of Brother Turiyananda having a very deep experience with Swami Ramdas of India in the mid-1950s. And this was in Switzerland before he, Turiyananda, came on this path. And he wasn't quite sure who his guru was and all that. And he had a very deep experience with Swami Ramdas. And so he went back to him the next day and he said, well, you must be my guru. And uh, Swami Ramdas said, no, I'm not your guru. He said, Yogananda is your guru. And Turiyananda, being kind of blunt himself, said, but Yogananda's dead. And Swami Ramdas, who was very sweet, he said, no, you're dead. Yogananda's alive. (laughs) Because that is the reality. And when you listen to the talks which Yogananda gave, and there's many number of the series of CDs, he's always saying, there is no time and space. It's all happening right now. Even people who have died, they're not gone. You can still find them if you meditate deeply. And meditation, he brings in again and again, that has to be the connecting factor in all of this. Without that, we're stuck with dogmatism and a little bit of common sense, hopefully. But but beyond that, we can access that superconscious and that place of intuitive perception in meditation. And even if your meditations, everybody pretty much struggles with meditation. So don't feel, I struggle with meditation. That's a given, you know. It's it, We're in delusion, we're in duality. And so it's never going to be easy to break out of that. But we will, and we do. And in fact, be sure in your meditation to look for those times when you really are transcending a normal conscious realm and touching on the superconscious because it's happening all the time. And so don't belittle that, you know, a little, oh, well, I felt a little joy. Wow, that's God. <laughs> I felt a little peace. That also, God. You know, so just be sure to really blend in, as Yogananda does for us in the autobiography, that supernatural and that superconscious, in with the conscious. It's happening all the time. So Yogananda, uh, Kriyananda talks about him and just the salient characteristics. First one, his complete lack of ego. And he gives that interesting story, which is a little disconcerting when you first read it, of Yogananda in India in the mid-1930s, school at Ranchi, is, he's got it going again, and they're going to have a special event, and they need a special speaker for that in India. That's how it's done, and so to host it. And so he goes to Judge Banerjee, 
who everyone says he's the top in the area, go to and invite him. And so he goes to invite him. And Judge Banerjee is just as rude as he can be. He says, oh yes, those schools and the swamis running them and and we have so many swamis and they're really a bunch of frauds and I mean really awful language. And uh, and so he goes on like this for some time and Yogananda is just calmly standing there. Because remember, when you have a complete lack of ego, which again we touch on from time to time and aren't able to hold it always, there is no post of ego for any of those comments to attach to. And so Yogananda just calmly stands there. And then at the very end he says, well, if you're interested, we'd still love to have you be, you know, which is amazing considering what's just happened there, all the stuff that's come at him and all the stuff that this fellow's just said. But he, he just said, well, we'd still like to have you if you feel to come. But pretty much he's, you know, okay, this isn't going to happen. This guy is not with us. And, and so he, they find another person. And then as the story plays out, Judge Banerjee, after the event has just begun, pulls up in his car, and because he's extremely well-known in that area, um, they make way for him. The man who's doing the hosting steps aside, and Judge Banerjee, after sitting there listening to one of the talks for a few minutes, says he's allowed to get up and speak. And he said, this is one of the happiest days of my life. He said, when your Swami Yogananda came to me, I was filled with joy, but I didn't know him, and I wanted to test him. And so he said, I said every rude thing I could possibly think of to him. And he just calmly accepted, accepted it. And he said, I've heard in your speeches so far that, you know, the graduates, some of them are becoming swamis, and this is a wonderful thing. And he said, There are many swamis in India, but if you can produce through your schools even one or two people like Yogananda, that will, whether he's a swami or not, that will be an incredible blessing on your school and on all of India. So again, and and Swami Kriyananda said about Yogananda, he said, I never ever saw anything that anyone said about him affect him in the least. There was one little rumor going around, evidently L.A. in the spiritual uh, circles, that Yogananda had lost all his powers. His only comment on that was, I never knew I had any powers. (laughs) So, complete absence of ego. And then... Uh, he also was a deeply had a deep uh, impersonal respect for all people, and uh, Swami Kriyananda again uh, remembers a couple of the instances where Yogananda uh, demonstrated that. And uh, there's a couple, but the one uh, was with Ramana Maharshi who he met in, I think, South India, again in the 1930s on the trip there. And um, uh, he asked 
Ramana Maharshi, I think about, I forget exactly how the question was phrased, but it was about uh, how, how you can bless the world or you know, how God comes into the world. And Ramana Maharshi said, the only way that blessings come is through individual uh, self-realization. That isn't exactly how he put it. In other words, kind of negating Yogananda's mission to the world and uplifting everybody and all that. And Swami Kriyananda said Yogananda left it at that. He didn't, he didn't try to say, well, what about... He just left it at that. He was in Ramana Maharshi's ashram. He had great respect for him and for what he was doing. That was his part of the play in that lifetime. Yogananda's was very different, but he respected that and showed that respect outwardly, which again is not always there for people. Um, Another salient characteristic Swami Kriyananda puts in the book is his great sense of humor. He said it was impish. And he gives a couple of jokes in the book, you know, and I, I won't say those jokes, but you, can, you, you should look through this chapter. It's very, very sweet. And in particular, it's very relevant to us because this is where we're all going. This is complete lack of ego. That's us, eventually. Great inner respect, impersonal respect for all people. That's us, eventually, if we don't have it yet. And a sense of humor. One of the very sweet stories that I've always enjoyed is um, uh, Dr. Lewis and Mrs. Lewis accompanied Yogananda to the, um, up to San Francisco from Los Angeles. Long drive, by car, you know, late 1940s. This was when Swami Kriyananda was living uh, with Yogananda. But they went in a small group up. I forget what was happening there, but a special event. And so they were... Dr. and Mrs. Lewis were extremely tired that day. They had traveled all day, and so when they'd gone out to dinner together at a Chinese restaurant, and but they had adjoining rooms with Yogananda, and he asked them to keep the door open, you know, which is always like, uh-oh. <laughs> and so they're in bed, and the door is open, and all of a sudden they hear, sub-gum from the other room. And Mrs. Lewis says, no, no, we're sleeping. And then, super sub-gum. And then, super sub-gum duff. (laughs) And Mrs. Lewis, Dr. Lewis said, she turned to the wall for help. (laughs) Just to... No, we're sleeping. And then finally, super submarine subgum duff. <laughs> Yogananda didn't say, hey, you guys, why don't you come on in? He just did it that way. And so at that point, Dr. Lewis just, he said, they got up, they were laughing, they went in the other room, and he said, what was happening there was it was Master's sweet way, maybe impish way, of inviting them to come in because he said at that point, I think it was around 1948, he said they had much less time with him. And so he really wanted to spend time with them. They had been with him in the very beginning 
And now here was an opportunity for them to have some very sweet satsang. And so he said, Dr. Lewis said, we spent the rest of the night talking and then meditating and then going to bed in the early, early morning hours. <laughs> but at any rate, um, but just, you know, the the funny part, the the sense of humor part, but for a reason and for a very sweet and deep reason. And then the other uh, thing that I wanted to touch on was that um, another characteristic, two actually. One is that Yogananda was a... Uh, a flawless mirror to people. He really, when he was with them, and this is what why Mount Washington was like a hotel, people coming and going, because the flawless mirror is reflecting back to you your higher self, always, constantly. Boop, boop, there it is. You know, and we're, you know, when we say, oh yeah, let me just check out for a little bit and be a little cozy. Nope, not with Yogananda. Not with Yogananda, so and and so much so that Kriyananda mentions those two photos of one of a disciple and one of just someone that he met, where he really went into people, not in a strange way, but he understood them. And so the photo with Amalita Galikurchi, a disciple, he he feels like her. He looks like her. She's very thin. She's light and. And he looks that way. And then the next one with the president of Mexico, he he's stocky. The president of Mexico, Portes Hill, is stocky and, you know, common sense and all that. And Yogananda kind of looks like that because when he was with people, he really tried to be with them. And taking this a little deeper, the, the next quality is one where he, he Swami Kriyananda said he understood people from the inside out. He said, well, almost everybody looks at someone and understands them from the outside. Your personality, your body, man, woman, young, old, whatever, but from the outside in. And the the story that he relates with this is of A.B. George. And it's one that I've, I don't know, for whatever reason, it always really touched me. A.B. George was young at the time, and I thought, you know, I never thought to ask Swami what happened to him. But at any rate, he was a young disciple, man, and he had been brought up a little on the rough side, but a big heart, was drawn to Yogananda, really respected him, but he didn't always show it outwardly. And so Swami Kriyananda said that the first time that he saw A.B. George with Yogananda, A.B. George was sitting in a chair with Yogananda there with his leg up over the side of the chair smoking a cigar and telling dirty jokes. And he said, we were appalled. But he said, Yogananda saw his heart. And whenever he saw him, he just laughed and gave, a, gave him a big hug. You know, didn't... That, that outer part, it was just his outer part. It didn't really mean much. But at any rate, that ability to be able to see people who they really are inwardly. And, uh, and also, Yogananda, he was very 
uh, light with people. You know, Kriyananda also tells that when Yogananda came into the monks' uh, kitchen one time, the downstairs area where they all lived and cooked and all that, and he said, he just popped in and it was just a mess. And he said, Yogananda just looked around, he said, well, it could be worse. <laughs> and then he, you know, no, no judgment, no, why don't you guys get it together? Nothing like that. Just, that could be worse. So just, again, really relating on the highest level to people. And finally, that Yogananda came as Lahiri Mahashai, who blessed him as a baby. He said he came as a spiritual engine to draw many, many people to God. His, in this lifetime, and he was always aware of this, his mission was for the world. It was to uplift all of society, which is quite a, quite a thing to, you know, feel. But, but again, he was an avatar with absolutely no ego. And so he came into America, and I, again, in reading the biography, uh, that Swami Kriyananda said that Yogananda, one of the reasons that he went through uh, so many trials, you know, money and people and lawsuits and all kinds of stuff in establishing his work, is that he said he had to break through the karma of America to be so outward. And it wasn't easy. There was a lot of energy moving outward. And uh, so he had to break through some of that to establish a new energy for America and for all the people that came that were very interested in something new like this, in going deeper and taking their lives deeper. So I think all of that, there's, as I said, many other things that are mentioned in those qualities, but... And also, just a, another phrase that Swami Kriyananda said, he said, Yogananda was for everyone and against no one. He was for everyone, against no one. And again, those are just, you know, that uh, lack of ego, and with that coming that deep respect for people, and allowing people to just be who they were. In his ashram. Again, that's why there was a revolving door, like a hotel, because people were free to go. You know, they they didn't have to stay. And so many people came, got a touch, and then moved on. And uh, we've seen that some with Ananda. We're we're like that as well, in the fact that uh, uh, we allow people to be who they are. We have a core and a magnetism and all of that, as Yogananda did but also just allowing people to take what they want and then move on if that's what they feel to do. So it's a very um, mature and, and free and open consciousness. And it's one very powerful. Yogananda was an avatar and he brought absolutely the highest consciousness for those that wanted it and could absorb it, could go with it. So again, referring back to um, the topic of today, dogmatism versus common sense. Jesus Christ did his best, as the St. Matthew reading says, to bring that understanding of just look at the results, look at the fruits, and then 
that feels right. But he came in a time of deep Kali Yuga and darkness. And so people were able to understand only a little bit of that. But now we have the ability to really take that and make it more of a common reality for people that, yes, you want to refer to the scriptures. Yes, we refer to the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita, things like that. But also using your intuitive perception to actually hear and understand what they're saying. And so referring back to that quote from the Bhagavad Gita, that a saint of God-realization, I'm just going to paraphrase, a saint of God-realization has as much need for the scriptures as someone does for, for water when you look around and the whole land is in flood. And that whole land is in flood with spiritual perception as you go deeper and deeper in this path of (laughs) self-realization.